Pastor Xavier Reese on forgiveness. The greatest comfort that any person can receive is to hear that their sins can be forgiven. This is the thing that you have to understand. If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, provisions have been made, now you need to respond. God has done everything that needs to be done. Nothing needs to be done. The check is in the bank. All you got to do is go withdraw it. All has been done. But you got to believe that the deposit is there. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. When Simple a rich truth man faces his final hour, a daily half-hour broadcast is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, get a good job, make a Isaiah, Pastor Xavier reminds us that there's much more to life than just things money can buy. Let's join him for today's important study. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1 through 11. And the message is entitled, Good News, You Can Be Forgiven. The prophet Isaiah has been declaring the judgment of God against Judah and Israel through Assyria, the rod of God's wrath. Sin had marred the love relationship between God and his people. And the Holy One of Israel could not, would not wink at their sin. Keep that in mind. Some people think that God's indifferent to their sin, that somehow they are the exception. If you're in sin, God is now winking at it. Now, he's in no hurry. You may say, well, you know, he hasn't done anything. Be patient. He'll get to you. He's got all eternity. But judgment is a strange way of doing things, the scriptures tell us. He doesn't want to judge. He wants to be graceful. Now the book of Isaiah changes dramatically. In fact, so dramatic is the change that many have taught and teach today that the second division is really written by a second Isaiah. Um, all they had to do was to read the New Testament and know that Jesus quoted from the first 39 chapters and then from also the last 27 chapters, and he said, Isaiah said. So the big dummies did all that homework for nothing, for PhDs, as if they know more than Jesus. Interesting. Now Isaiah is called to declare the loving grace and redemption of his people, as well as that of the entire Gentile nations, by the servant of Jehovah, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And it is radical as night and day when you read Isaiah. You get to 40, boom, a change. And the introduction, I told you that Isaiah is called many times the mini-Bible. The first 39 chapters correlate to the 39 books of the Old Testament. Judgment. Then you have the next 27 chapters correlates to the New Testament, grace. And that's why it's called the mini Bible. Now, the opening 11 verses have been called the introduction to the entire last half from 40 to 66, and rightly so. As we get into these verses, you're going to see that from this point on, nothing new revealed. He kind of just sets the introduction, and then he expounds it from different directions. One of the most common phrases you're going to find is, I am God, there is no other. And I've walked up and down this universe, cruised up and down, never bumped into any other God. But if you have, you tell me of things before they happen, so when they happen, I can declare you to be God. But until you come up with something like that, let me tell you things before they happen, so when they come to pass, you know I'm God. And it is a solid message straight through. And this is 
what God wants you to know. That he knows the end from the beginning. He knows the hair on your head. Labeled to the name. And he wants to open your heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me read these first 11 verses. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The voice said, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. O Zion, you who bring good tithings, get up into the high mounts of Jerusalem. You who bring good tithings, lift up your voice with strength, lift it up, be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and his arms shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. The prophet Isaiah was called by God to proclaim comfort to his people based on three revealed truths. First, verse 1 and 2, God had made provisions for their sins. Secondly, verse 3 through 5, God had chosen a man to proclaim their forgiveness. And then thirdly, verses 6 through 11, God had the prophetic near and far in view of their forgiveness. God had made provisions for their forgiveness. What an incredible proclamation. It's made light by many people, as if it's not necessary. Some people think that they don't need God, that they don't need forgiveness, that it's something that is just kind of conjured up by Christian and churches to keep people dependent on them and to keep them under their thumb and to not enjoy life. Notice first the proclamation of comfort through forgiveness is the declaration of the command from God, from the heavenly court. We opened up the book of Isaiah with a window opening up to heaven. We saw the heavenly court. God was the judge and the prosecuting attorney, charging his people, calling them to repentance. We saw another window open in heaven of Isaiah 6 where he is called. He says, woe is me, I'm undone, I'm a man of unclean lips, and he's cleansed. We see another window. Here we have it again. This is the heavenly court. Now notice the double imperative is in the plural form and characteristically it is intrinsically of the urgency of the message, full of joy. Listen, listen. Comfort, yes, comfort my people. Don't we as parents repeat something to encourage our child? He's starting to walk and we say, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> This is such great news. After 39 chapters, I'm going to get you. 
Then he says, I've got you. <laughs> I've got it all set up for you. Don't throw it away. This double imperative is repeated in the second division of Isaiah four or five times. The repetition of the announcement of comfort is to assure his people of the certainty of their encouragement to trust God. You see, God is ever pursuing man, and I am, I am persuaded that God is more excited about forgiving my sin than I am that he forgive my sin. Because somehow, as a man, I'm not fully convinced that it's really that bad. God says, listen, sin kills. Sin separates you from God. Isaiah 59.1, God's hand is not short that he cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that he cannot here, but your sins are separated from your God and he turns your face away from you. That's how serious sin is. Notice the declaration of comfort is to ring out to the covenant people of God. He calls them his people by the phrase my God or my people. And God calls himself their God by the phrase your God. There's a relationship that's been severed here. There's a relationship now that's being reconciled together, being put together again. In fact, the word peace in the Greek comes from the, or the word that means to join something together. You get the name Irene. Irene means peace together. You're joining something that was previously broken. The declaration is based on the authority of God by the phrase, says your God. In other words, he's the Holy One of Israel. Is that the way he opened up the book in chapter 1, verse 4? The Holy One of Israel. He's of pure eyes and behold evil. The heavens aren't pure in his sight. He is the epitome of holiness. And he says, I cannot tolerate or compromise with sin. Now I can forgive it, but I can't mess with it. That's very important. He is the Holy One unequal. In fact, he will tell us that in verse 25 of this chapter. He tells them, uh, he says, to whom would you liken me unto? Who are you going to make me unto? You know, here we are, we, we, we make our little gods and we have eyes, so we put eyes on them. We have hands, we put hands, we have feet, we put feet on them. You know, ears, nose, everything. But he can't see, he can't hear, he can't walk, can't handle. He's become less than us. And then we put him on a little stand or something. We put a little shrine on him. An earthquake comes, he falls down, breaks his neck. We got to get some crazy glue and glue him together. Well, he should start praying to us. And he gets into that at the end of this chapter, in chapter 41 and many other times. And he speaks about the foolishness of idolatry. God is a spirit. What are you going to liken him unto? He's so vast. He's so great. He is the personal God of Israel. Notice, secondly, in verse 2, the proclamation of comfort through forgiveness was very specific. To comfort Jerusalem and cry out to her as a herald, literally to comfort the heart of Jerusalem. First being that her warfare is ended, or her hard service. To cry out, to proclaim it. It's good news, to comfort the heart. Because isn't that where we don't rest in the heart? Uneasy? The warfare refers to the striving of, in sin against God. The opening chapters, chapter 1, he hits them hard. And he doesn't stop. And if you're living in sin, you're striving against your maker. You're, you're at war with him, and he's at war with you. There is no peace until there is that white flag that says, I'm a sinner, I agree with you, help me. The warfare refers to her opposition by God through Assyria, the rod of his wrath, as he said in chapter 10, verse 5. And also Babylon in the near future, which would bring her into captivity with three sieges, a 606, 596, and 886 B.C. Finally, Nebuchadnezzar takes them in, burns the city, takes the temple apart, everything. 
her hard service would end after the Babylonian captivity, but also to comfort Jerusalem and cry out to her as a herald that her iniquity was pardoned. And this is the key. This is the key. Her iniquity was pardoned. Provisions had been made. Personal response now was necessary. And this is the thing that you have to understand. If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, provisions have been made. Now you need to respond. God has done everything that needs to be done. Nothing needs to be done. The check is in the bank. All you got to do is go withdraw it. But you got to believe that the deposit is there. All has been done. Notice the reason being that she had received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. This is an incredible phrase. This was a practice of a debt paid. And it was done by nailing the debt copy and then nailing the paid copy on top of it so it was doubly it was canceled out there was no charge any longer such was the promise to Jerusalem as the covenant people amazing did they deserve it absolutely not did they need it desperately and he gave it freely on the conditions that he had made in 1946, a young man named Szeslaw Galuski was a member of a young gang that roamed and sacked the German countryside. On uh, an isolated farm, they gunned down 10 members of one family. Only one member survived. When Galuski completed his 20-year sentence of his crime, the state would not release him because he did not have a place to reside. The surviving member of the family heard of the release of this man and he had nowhere to go. He asked the authorities to turn Galuski to his custody. He wrote in his request, quote, Christ died for my sins and forgave me. Should I not then forgive this man? Heavy. This is not a story out of Disneyland. This is just 30, 40 years ago. This is the power of the gospel. This is God's mercy and grace. This is what God can do through people because first he does it to people. Very important. To those much is given, much is required. Freely we have received, freely we give. The greatest comfort that any person can receive is to hear that their sins can be forgiven. Cast as far as the east to the west, Psalm 103, 12. Never running into them. God says, I've forgiven you. Never run into them. Cast in the depths of this ocean, Micah 7, 19. You can't dive deep enough to get, touch them. Cast behind his back, Isaiah 38, 17 tells us. And if you don't understand what that means, when you go home, you have your wife or your girlfriend, your boyfriend or anybody else, put a piece of tape right between your shoulder blades and let's see if you can see it. To know that one is forgiven for the murder of a child in the womb. That's comfort. To know that you are forgiven absolutely for the destruction of two families in an adulterous relationship. That's comfort. To know that in spite of the destruction you brought to your life, that you can receive comfort that God is with you. That's comfort. A comfort that the world cannot give. In fact, he is called the father of mercies. The God of all comfort in 2 Corinthians 1, 3. The comfort of forgiveness comes through and by the Holy Spirit. In fact, he is called 
the comforter, the parakaleo, the one to come alongside to help us do the work. He is the one just like Jesus, sent by Jesus to dwell in the believer who asks forgiveness of their sins in order that they not be orphans in John 14, 16, and 18. An orphan is one who has no one to, to care for him, to love him, to caress him. He's left without an adult figure. He's left without protection. The picture here is the Holy Spirit that comes along into your life if you ask Christ to forgive you and he will not leave you as an orphan. Don't use the fact that your father was never around, your mother was mean or whatever it was. This generation is a, a, a bashing generation. When you come to Christ, you understand that you are a rat and you have been forgiven and you give out that forgiveness. You don't use it to bash people or that. They're lost, they're dead in sins, just like you were. And you pour God's grace out upon them as God poured it upon you. He has called the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father to testify of Jesus, John 15, 26 says. No one else but Jesus. He glorifies him. He has come to convict the world of sin in John 16, 8. It brings pain. Pain is good. Do you know that? To sense pain is a God-given gift. You get a pain on your side, and it kind of goes away in an hour, you're okay. But if it doesn't go away, you better go to the doctor to respond to it because you might have appendicitis and die. So the Holy Spirit comes to bring pain to the heart of man when he does evil, when he does wrong. And hopefully he will respond to the master physician for that pain, to resolve that pain, to get rid of that pain, to correct what's making that pain come. But if you ignore it, pain, then the consequence is that you die. And there's no different in the spirit. The comfort of forgiveness was one that Isaiah wanted people to experience. Why? For he had experienced forgiveness of God. In chapter 6, he says, Woe is me, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And an angel from the throne of God took a coal from the altar and touched his lips. And he said, Your iniquity is taken away, and you are atoned, purged from your sin. Listen, if you have received and experienced the forgiveness of God, you are excited about communicating that to somebody else. And as I look at the church today, it's almost like, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus came. Yeah, I'm forgiven. <laughs> Wake up. What's going on in the church today? In fact, he argues for their forgiveness to be accepted from the very beginning of this prophecy. Remember chapter 1, verse 18 through 20, as he represents God, he says, Come, come now, let's reason together. Though your sins be red as crimson, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be white as wool. If you are willing to be obedient, and you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse to rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. There's the option. There's the choice. There's the crisis. The Chinese character for crises is composed of two words, danger and opportunity. God has put a bargain up to you. If you repent, you're saved. If you rebel, you're damned. It's a crisis. It has both danger and opportunity. If you reject, danger. If you accept, opportunity. But the choice is yours and mine. No one else. 
God had made provisions for their forgiveness. And so I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what you've done. I don't know where you're coming from. But God has brought you here that you might hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he loves you, he cares for you. Not that you're a good person. You're a rotten person, just like me. That's why we need Christ. We don't come because we're good. Like I was walking in, you know, me and Trudy were walking out to go get a cup of coffee here at Starbucks before this. I said, come on. And, then, and this lady came up and, and she goes, oh, she goes, oh, you look pretty. And I'm there and she goes, she looks at me and says, you look pretty too. I said, yeah, pretty ugly. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, we just think more highly of ourselves than we should. We're not good. We're good for nothing. Finish the sentence. <laughs> Notice secondly, verse 3 through 5. God had chosen a man to proclaim their forgiveness. See, it's good to make the provision, but if no one's going to proclaim it, what good is it? Notice first in verse 3, the proclamation was of the coming Messiah. The person is identified simply as a voice of one crying in the wilderness. The voice is the representative of God, a prophet. The location is the wilderness, very specific. The purpose identified also to prepare the way of the Lord. This way is for no average person, no average man. This way is for the Lord, all capital letters, which means Yahweh, Jehovah. Very specific way. The plan was to make straight in the desert a highway for, here it is again, our God. Now, Isaiah has mentioned different highways in his prophecy. In chapter 11, verse 16, he spoke about the highway of the remnant for his people that would be left from Assyria. In chapter 19, 23, uh, he says, In that day, the millennial kingdom, there would be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. Assyria would come to Egypt and Egyptians to Assyria. And then in chapter 35, verse 8, he speaks about the highway there shall be and the road they shall call, be called a highway of holiness in the millennial kingdom. And no unclean person will enter in there. Now, this highway is for the Lord. Very specific. Notice, secondly, in verse 4, the proclamation describes the manner of preparation according to the custom of the day. This is so key. So key. You remember that Jesus, he always says, a sower went out to sow seed. He proclaimed and people were just indifferent to the teaching, so began to teach in parables, using the illustrations, the metaphors, and the custom of the day to communicate theological truth in a very simple, clear manner. This is what Isaiah is doing. The method is literal. Look at The valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked place shall be made straight or made plain or the rough places smooth. This was the practice of the day as the road engineers and as the people who were at hand would know that a king was coming. He was going to come maybe perhaps to the city or to this province, whatever it was, or an emperor. And they would go out and clear, make the proclamation. They would clear the roads, all the real steep curves. They would kind of wind them out, straighten them out a little more. All the holes, they would patch them up. They would make them smooth so he can come in comfort and at ease. This is what it's talking about. The method is also figurative. The valleys, mountains, hills speak of the, all those who are proud and exalted in themselves. When the Messiah comes, he humbles everybody. The crooked made straight and the rough places made smooth or level speak of those individuals who are separated from God through sin. Regardless of what that sin is, God can straighten it out. God can cleanse it. God can take care of it. If you are willing. That's a big if. 
because God will not decide for you. You must decide for yourself or for God. Who will it be? Pastor Xavier Reese and getting to a right relationship with God. Now be sure you join us next time for the conclusion of this lesson, but if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, it's available on CD for just $4. The title to ask for is Good News, You Can Be Forgiven. Again, you'll be asking for Good News, You Can Be Forgiven or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please be sure and mention the call letters of this station in your correspondence. This way we can check on the impact of this outreach in your area. What's the true value of eternal life? Are you sure? That's our subject on the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com